Welcome to the Way Ministries Bible Study with Pastor John. Tonight's study will be in the book of Job. We invite you to join us at 1 Oakley Avenue in North Providence, Rhode Island. This podcast is presented to you by the Way Ministries, supported by listeners like you. For donations, live videos, podcasts, and more, please visit www.thewayministriesri.org. Thank you and have a great day. Study, I want to thank everyone for coming out tonight to get a portion of God's Word. Amen. All right, first and foremost, let's thank our Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into our lives, opening up our hearts, putting your spirit inside us, Lord, and giving us an opportunity to change and grow. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us and doing for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. We're eternally grateful. I'd like to thank the core of the ministry, one body, many parts. We need each other for this to function properly. If you have a cell phone, please silence it so it doesn't disturb tonight's study. <laughs> and as always, we will start with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we're just so grateful and so thankful that we can gather together tonight to worship, to honor, and glorify you, Lord, and learn more about you and your ways, Lord. Help us to make your ways our ways, Lord, by helping us to crucify our flesh each and every day, Lord, and walk in newness of life in the Spirit, Lord. We're just so grateful that you put your Holy Spirit in us, Lord, to comfort us, to convict us, to teach us, and lead us into all truth, Lord. For without that, Lord, we wouldn't be able to carry out your will. Help us always to remain humble and teachable like clay in your hands, Lord, so we can become more like your son, the Lord Jesus, so we can glorify you and build your kingdom, Father. We pray for the people who can't be here, who are sick and suffering, Lord, that you touch their hearts and reassure them you'll never leave them or forsake them and lead them back, Lord, as we all fight with the flesh to get with the spirit lord and we're just so grateful for everything tonight lord and as always let everything be led by your spirit tonight and not our flesh in Jesus' mighty name i pray amen and amen all right we're going to stand and worship the lord
All right, how's everybody doing tonight, all right? Good to see everybody tonight. I see that we got all the lights out, out there. It looks like daylight out there, huh? They changed the LED bulbs and all these, too. They're all really nice and bright. Looks good, right? I don't know if they did that one yet, though. I have to check. That's a... They might have, huh? Yeah, that looks like brand new. That one there? Yeah. Oh, good. Those are tough to get in there. They changed... They had to change the whole... Yeah. It's getting there. It's looking good out there. They got the, the outside lights in the front now, too. So. That's it. We're getting there, right? All right, let's turn to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to start there tonight. Let's see where we are here. He's got us in verse 46. Let's see here. Let's see. Yeah, we'll stay there. If not, I have to go back to the beginning. There's a lot in between here. All right, let's start in verse 46. As always, the Holy Spirit will be taken over as I go on to these scriptures. So try to clear your mind and prepare your heart to receive the message. The Spirit is trying to say to the church tonight. Amen? All right, try to stay focused. A lot of information going to be going out tonight. The Magnificent Mary's Song of Praise. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of this, his lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One is holy, and He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear Him. So we have to understand, there's a condition right there. You want God's mercy? You have to what? Have a healthy fear of Him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. We'll stop there because then we're going to get into John the Baptist and there'll be a whole bunch of stuff here. We'll, we get the point though. The Lord shows mercy to all of us. We don't deserve anything that he does for us, you know. We're so wretched in our thoughts and our deeds every day. If you're, really, if you're really honest with yourself, you know, from the moment you get up to the moment you go to bed, we're not always thinking God's thoughts, and we know that. And the devil's always trying to hinder that and hinder our walk and ruin our testimony. And, you know, it's so important to live by example that people don't see living by example in Christianity. They want nothing to do with it. They say it's a bunch of hoopla. You know, you try to beat people up with scriptures and say, well, you, you talk scripture, but do you live scripture? We have to live what we believe or become what we believe for, any, for it to have any power. Number a big amen there. 
the empty words without anything to back with an without an experience to back it up. All right, so we're going into everybody knows where we're going, right? No, no, no. No, I think we're in. Uh, let's see, I mocked it. I think we're in twenty-one. I was just, yeah, yeah, we're in um, Job chapter 21, we're going to start from the beginning, yeah, I highlighted that in yellow, make sure, you get it, okay, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't mind going back, it's always good, <laughs> but we're going to keep moving forward, for the sake of time, all right, we're going to go to um, verse 1. Job's seventh speech, a response to Zophar. Then Job spoke again. Listen closely to what I am saying. That's one consolation you could give me. He's saying, listen up now. Stop talking and listen. Give me your ear. Bear with me and let me speak. After I have spoken, you may resume mocking me. My complaint is with God, not with people. I have, a, I have good reason to be so impatient. Look at me and be stunned. Put your hand over your mouth in shock. When I think about what I am saying, I shudder. My body trembles. Why do the wicked prosper Growing old and powerful. A lot of us think the same thing, right? Why do evil people in the world seem to just, everything just falls right into their lap? And Christians, we just have to fight for everything. It's always a struggle. Well, because the devil's in control of this world, and he blesses people materially to keep them from coming to God. So when there's all kinds of riches going on, nobody has a need to get saved or go to Jesus, because everything's being fulfilled. So the devil will bless them materially. Even Christians think that the blessings materially are from God. A lot of times they're not from God because it pulls Christians out of, out of God's will. We get blessed and we walk away from God. That's why most of us are mature enough to receive the blessings he wants to give us because he knows we'll walk away from him. Now, verse 8. They live to see their children grow up and settle down. And they enjoy their grandchildren. Their homes are safe from every fear. And God does not punish them. Their bulls never fail to breed. Their cows bear calves and never miscarry. They let their children frisk about like lambs. Their little ones skip and dance. They sing with tambourine and harp. They celebrate to the sound of the flute. They spend their days in prosperity. Then go down to the grave in peace, or in Hebrew, to Sheol. Uh, can somebody get me a water? I forgot to grab one. Thank you. Yeah, give me a bottle. They sing with tambourine and harp, and they celebrate to the sound of the flute. 
They spend their days in prosperity, then they go to the grave, and yet they say to God, go away. We want no part of you and your ways. How many people? How many people say that today? I, I go when I go to work and I talk about God, I say, oh, that's one man's opinion, and they don't want nothing to do with it. They don't want to hear it. It's a bunch of hoopla. That's because you got raised and they put that into your head, and it's all kinds of crazy things. Thank you. You wouldn't believe the slack I get for even mentioning that. And then a lot of times they get mocked and I say, hey, see, oh, I can't wait to go to church. They're saying that to me now, you know. They're like mocking me coming back with that. I said, thank you. You saved me some breath. You spoke for me. Thank you. <laughs> because, see, I'm the same every day. I go to work the same way. I do the same thing. I don't let anybody interfere with what God wants me to do. I don't pay back evil with evil. I don't mock them. I don't tell them not to do this or do that. I keep my mouth shut. I keep my, I'm quiet and I do my job. So that so nobody could come back and say it's a bunch of baloney. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's why it's important to live. You know, just keep, zip it. If you have nothing good to say, don't say anything. Or don't try to force this down their throats. <laughs> it's funny. And yet they say to God, go away. We want no part of you and your ways. Verse 15, who is the Almighty and why should we obey him? What good will it do us to pray? He's in a bad place right now, right? He forgot all the good that God's done for him his whole life. See, when that, how about when we get into a calamity or problems, right? We get mad at God and forget all the good things that he's done for us already. Same thing. They think Look at verse 16. They think their prosperity is of their own doing. But I will have nothing to do with that kind of thinking. Yet the light of the wicked never seems to be extinguished. Do they ever have trouble? Does God distribute sorrows to them in anger? Are they driven before the wind like straw? Are they carried away by the storm like chaff? Not at all. Job sees what we see. We see people out there prospering and they run over people and run them down and all kinds of things. And, 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 and it just seems like they just get blessed more and more and more. And we get more heartache and more heartache and more heartache because we don't belong to this world anymore. Amen. So you've got to understand that because if we start to envy what they have, then we're coming out of the spirit and going back into the flesh. You see, if we want with the, if we say, oh, why come I can't have that? Because we don't want that anymore. We want spirit. We don't want fleshly things anymore. When you find yourself envying other people and saying, oh, I, I, I wish I had what they have, it's because you want your flesh back. You're actually regressing and going back into the world, even though you might be coming to church. So we have to be real careful with that. The blessings are inward from God. The blessings I get from all this, you know, tired, weary, they're not outward blessings, they're inward blessings. It gives me peace of mind and heart that I know why I'm here, I know why I'm created, and now I'm in His will doing what He created me to do. That brings me more peace than anything else. But when I'm always reaching outward, 
for things, thinking that I got to get this done, that done, instead of saying, I just got to sit underneath the feet of Jesus and everything's going to be okay, he'll handle the rest, is when the Spirit just eases us and comforts us. Other than that, we'll always be uneasy. Not knowing. Until you find what your purpose is here, you'll always be uneasy in the world. So it's so important for us to find what God created us to do. And actually operate in it if you want to get that peace. And if you don't put him first, it never will happen. You have to, put, you have to be all in with this. You, the Bible says, if you go in halfway, you shouldn't receive, you expect to receive anything from God. Your loyalty is divided between the world and, the, and God. So if you're divided like that, you're not going to receive anything from him. Until you say, all in. All of me. If you have any reservations, it's, not, it's never going to happen for you. You'll wander to and fro, like by the, getting, by the wind, it'll always make you flutter back and forth, like this. Back and forth. Never stable. If that's the way you want to go, that's fine. That's not what God saved us to do. He saved us to have peace and joy and comfort. Knowing that you're in his plan and whatever he wants you to do, use me, Lord. I'm available. When you, when you become unavailable for God, is when you're just back in your flesh again. You've got no time for God. Now look what it says. While you say, at least God will, listen, and they carried away by the storm. Now look at verse 19. While you say, at least God will punish their children. But I say he should punish the ones who sin so that they understand his judgment. Let them see their destruction with their own eyes. Let them drink deeply of the anger of the Almighty. For they will not care what happens to their family after they are dead. Remember, um, what king was it? Was it Hezekiah? What, 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 which king... Um, got healed. Was it Hezekiah? I think so, right? It was one of them. Well, God was going to judge me. He said, well, at least I'm not going to get judged while I'm alive. He said, I don't care what happens after I'm dead. You can judge him after that. So in other words, who cares? As long as I'm not getting, uh, I'm getting it now, who cares if it happens to them later? <laughs> it's selfish, right? God prolonged his life for 15 more years and he got greedy. Yes. And he started showing off everything that God did for him. Yes. And then that, that didn't hurt him, it hurt the next generation coming up. Right. Just think about what you're doing now, your sins, what they hurt. They, don't hurt, they might not hurt you, they're going to hurt your children and the next generation coming up. So that's or more to follow God and live by his ways. For they will not care what happens to their family after they are dead. But who can teach a lesson to God since he judges even the most powerful? All right, let me reiterate on them two chapters, two verses, 21 and 22. Although baffled by the reasons for his suffering, okay, Job affirmed God's superior understanding by asking, who can teach a lesson to God? He understood that, okay? The way you respond to your personal struggles shows your attitude toward God. Rather than becoming angry or resentful with God, continue to trust Him no matter what your circumstances may be. Listen up now, this is important. Although it is sometimes difficult to see, God is in control of everything. Listen to me. 
God is in control of everything. Everything. We must commit ourselves to Him so we will not resent His timing. That's what we do. We start to resent God's timing. It's not happening fast enough for me. I'm going to have to step in and do something about this. How many times do we do that? Abraham did it. He didn't want to wait for the child, right? Set him back 15 years in his walk with the Lord and caused a big mess in his household because of it, because of the flesh. Same thing with King David, right? He should have been out there in the battlefield. He figured he was going to take a break. Like people say, oh, I need a break from church, right? That time that he took a break from going out in the battle, what was he doing? The devil got into him, right? He seen Bathsheba. He would have never been there if he was where he was supposed to be. Because idle hands are the devil's playground. Believe me as a believer, you should be more involved with God than ever because when you're a Christian and you want to stay involved with God, the devil is going to hit you whenever you're not here. He is going to pound, bombard you to get you back into your flesh again. All the more you have to be rooted and grounded in church. You should be docking the doors every day. Every morning I get out of my car, I run in here and I get on my knees. He says, Lord, please take over. I can, I can sense it already. The devil wants me. He wants me. I have to come in here and pray. Lord, please. I got to trust him and submit to him. It says, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. I have to humble myself and submit to God every morning so that devil won't follow me around all day. Because he wants to. From when I get up to when I go to bed, the devil is right there. Unfortunately, and he ain't going anywhere until we're out of these fleshly bodies. We have to learn how to what? Master it. Sometimes he gets the best of us, though, doesn't he? When the right opportunity comes, when you get aggravated or you get stuck in traffic or something happens or somebody angers you and they get, you get getting bombarded one thing after another, by the end of the day, you're like all frazzled and loser. There's no spirit left in you. There's no spirit left in you. All your flesh is coming out. You're all frustrated with people. That's when you say, I can't wait to go to church. I need to get plugged in again. The devil beat me up all day. I need to get plugged back in. And just be humble enough to admit that. God wants a real relationship with us. And stop being playing like a Pharisee, like, oh, I'm goody two-shoes. Well, you know we all fall in this area. This is a real church. We're healing from sin. Sin is inside of us. Oh, it never goes anywhere. It lays dormant for a while. But as soon as we just chink in our armor, boy, he's right in there digging it. It's like digging it out. He, he rips the armor wide open. And he fills us with all kinds of temptations and desires. And the first thing he does, he makes us tired. And we don't want to go to church. We don't want to read our Bible. Oh, the, we get the, the... You know what he does? He makes it mundane. He makes it so... This is all mundane. It's because in the flesh it is mundane. Oh, we're going to go to church. Gonna... But in the spirit, it's not mundane. It's, it's awesome. You can't wait to come to church. In the spirit, in the flesh, it's like, oh, again, I'm tired. And the devil gets us sometimes, right? People don't show up. And the devil gets in and causes a problem. All right. Verse 23. 
One person dies in prosperity, completely comfortable and secure. The picture of good health, vigorous and fit. Another person dies in bitter poverty, never having tasted the good life. But both are buried in the same dust and both eaten by the same maggots. It's true. Look, I know what you're thinking. I know the schemes you plot against me. You will tell me of rich and wicked people whose houses have vanished because of their sins. But ask those who have been around and they will tell you the truth. Evil people are spared in times of calamity and are allowed to escape disaster. No one criticizes them openly or pays them back for what they have done. When they are carried to the grave, an honor God keeps watch at their tomb. A great funeral procession goes to the cemetery. Many pay their respects as the body is laid to rest. And the earth gives sweet repose. How can, you empty cliche, how can your empty cliches comfort me? All your explanations are lies. Smart man, Job was. He knew. All right, before we go on, Job refuted Zophar's idea that evil people never experience wealth and happiness, pointing out that the real world, the wicked, do indeed prosper. Psalm 73, for more on apparent prosperity of evil people. God does as he wills to individuals. And people should not use their circumstances to measure their own goodness or God's. What do they do? They use their wealth and their prosperity as, their, as their, they're doing good because they're rich. They are sometimes related, but not always. To Job's friends, success was based on outward performance. To God, however, success is based on a person's heart. Man. Right, we did that little clip, the commercial thing, and they happen to get me saying that right there. God wants your heart. He doesn't want your money. He doesn't want all this. He wants your heart. That's what he says. Give me your heart, and I will give you my heart. See, when you give God your heart, he gives you his heart. See, you receive is when you give. But if you don't give him your heart, you keep your heart. Not God. You don't get God's heart. And your heart's wicked and evil. So wouldn't you want to... Isn't that a better trade-off? To give God your heart so you can get his heart? But how do you want to know the difference? Read Galatians chapter 5 and you'll know if you gave God your heart. Because God's heart is the other side of Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, right? Patience, tolerance, and self-control. The other side is what? Jealousy, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, all that other crazy stuff is our heart. So you know which one's operating and which ones you're doing. Galatians 5 is a great, a great barometer to see where you're at. You can come to church your whole life and never have any of that, you know. You can never have no joy, peace, patience, self-control. Why? Because you're coming with the wrong heart. You're coming out of obligation instead of a desire to come. 
It's a difference. See, when you come out of obligation, God doesn't show anything to you. When you come with an open heart in the spirit, he, sh he opens his word to you. Things start jumping off the pages at you. When you read the word with the right heart, listen, when you read the word out of obligation, you forget what you read. When you read the word and you study the one, you ask God, please, Lord, reveal something to me today. I want to know you better, Lord. Before you even start reading or listening, that's when you're going to get fulfilled. But you have to do that because if you don't, your flesh, you're going to make it a religion. You're going to make going through the Bible a religious thing instead of something that you want to do because you love the Lord and want to get to know him better. You know the difference. You know the difference when you read it and start, and you get absolutely nothing from it. But when you when you when you want it, sometimes you read a few days ahead. You keep going. You don't want to stop. It's a difference. You don't want it to be an obligation. You want to do it because you want you want to do it, not because you have to do it. If you want to get anything out of it, you could read it for 30, 40 times, and it's still a book. The written word never becomes a living word. Because you're doing it out of a religious duty. Can I get a big amen here? Yeah. All right. Let's go into chapter 22. Things can turn into religion real easy for us. Look, I'm here because I want to be here. Not because I have to be here. And that's how you know if your heart's getting cold. Your heart starts to get cold when... You think that you're coming, but it's like a oh, it's like oh, like like a religious duty. Then you're coming because you want to want to you want your spirit to get fed. It's a big difference. So then you know your heart. You have to check yourself before you. Yeah, exactly. One thing about God, he so he doesn't take away our free will. Jesus hated religion. He hated it. He wanted a relationship with his people. Remember the Pharisees? He said, Jesus said, people who are sick don't need a doctor. The Pharisees thought they had it all going on with the prayer boxes, reading the Bible every day. Look at me. They didn't know God at all. Not even a clue. Because that Bible is supposed to soften you, not harden you. When you read that word of God, you are supposed to soften up. And you're supposed to what? Be able to wash people's feet and understand where they're at and have empathy on them. Never attack or what? Condemn. Because you think you're better than them because you come to church and they don't. You can turn real hard, real fast, and you can get real spiritually proud by doing all these things. And God hates that. I don't want that to happen to anybody here. How do you know? When your heart is soft and you have empathy. Like when I go to the people, I said, forgive them, Lord. They don't know what they're doing. They don't, know, no, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're saying. They're just blind. The devil has the veil over them. And the, you know what the devil wants us to do? He wants us to attack the people. Instead of understanding that the blinder is on. They can't, the veil is on. All we can do is pray that the veil gets lifted. And that's what loving your enemies is. Because a Christian's enemy is sin, not sinners. We love sinners, but we, our enemy is the sin that contaminates their life. 
when you read Jews, is hating the sin that contaminates their life, not the sinner. The devil wants you to hate the sinner. You see? It's a whole, we love sinners. We hate sin. So we want a pure church. Yeah, we want you come as a sinner, but you need to leave this, you have to repent of that sin. And then come, and so we can have a pure church. Because you let sin into the church, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You let a little sin in there in the back. They get away with something, and then here comes another. Somebody else, oh, they got away with that. Why can't I do that? And then you've got a synagogue of Satan. And everybody's coming to church, loving church, because all they're doing is gratifying their flesh in church. Like I said, I'm here to kill your flesh, not gratify it. That's why this church might be a little bit different than other churches. Because the whole duty is to live in spirit, not flesh. So if I put on big smoke shows and concerts, and you're flesh, yeah, woo-wee, yeah, you know? And it's like, yeah, because your flesh is all happy. You're alive in the flesh. That's not your spirit. Your spirit is happy when the word of God is touching you, not anything else. It's when the word of God is hitting you is when you're joyful. Not when, not when smoke and music and all this other stuff is going on. It's so easy to get misled by the emotionalism. That's why emotionalism, that's why God's works way behind our emo, beyond our emotions. He wants us to live free of emotion and have faith in him. Saying, I'm suffering right now. And it's okay for me to suffer because there is no growth without resistance. So now that I know that I'm suffering, that God loves me. He's changing me. There's resistance there so I can grow. Once you understand that, then you can get mature. All right, verse, uh, verse 1. Eliphaz's third response to Job. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, Can a person do anything to help God? Can even a wise person be helpful to him? Is it any advantage to the Almighty if you are righteous? Would it be any gain to him if you were perfect? Is it, is it because you're so pious that, you will, that the, he accuses you and brings judgment against you? He's calling Job pious. No, it's because of your wickedness. Here it is. He's saying that's happening because of his wickedness. And that was not the case at all because the beginning tells us Job was a righteous man. God loved him. There is no limit. Look what he says right here. There's no limit to your sins. For example, you must have lent money to your friend and demanded clothing as security. Yes, you stripped him to the bone. You know, you know what he's saying? He's talking about his own heart right here. That's him. You must have, listen what he says. You must have refused water for the thirsty and food for the hungry. That's what he's saying. They all knew who Job was. Listen, he was a respected man in his town. He always cared for people and loved people and helped people. He was a man of integrity. Look what they're saying about him. You probably think the land belongs to the powerful and only the privileged have a right to it. You must have sent widows away empty-handed and crushed the hopes of orphans. 
That is why you are surrounded by traps and tremble from sudden fears. That is why you cannot see in the darkness and waves of water cover you. God is so great, higher than the heavens, higher than the farthest stars. But you reply, that's why God can't see what I'm doing. How can he judge through the thick darkness? For the thick clouds swirl about him, and he cannot see us. <laughs> He's thinking, Job's thinking that. Job was doing all kinds of nasty things, thinking that God couldn't see him. Now listen, before we go on. Eliphaz declared that Job's view of God was too small, and he criticized Job for thinking that God was too far removed from earth to care about him. If Job knew of God's intense personal interest in him, Eliphaz said he wouldn't dare take his sin so lightly. Eliphaz had a point. Some people do take sin lightly because they think God is non-existent or far away and doesn't notice all we do. But his point did not apply to Job. All right? You get that so-called grace message God doesn't see your sins anymore he doesn't there's no consequence anymore you're under God's grace you're in the age there's no consequences for sin sin it up don't worry about it what Bible are they reading that is such the small grace is the smallest part in the Bible the rest is what God gives us the grace to what overcome and become like him not the like not a license to sin just imagine, what would you do? What would, here's the, here's the, here's the, God's given you two choices. Become like Jesus and let me crucify your flesh. Or don't bother, just accept me and it's a gift and just live the way you want till you go home. Either way, it's a win-win. What would you choose? To go through all that suffering and pain like we go to become like Jesus? Or just say, yeah, I accept it, see you later. Who in their right mind wouldn't take that offer? It's just such an easy thing. Who wouldn't take that if that was the truth? But I know that's not the truth. He did not die for me to keep doing that. He died so I could stop and live for him. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we could do the things he planned for us long ago. Our sin nature stops us from doing his plan. So when they, when they quote Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9, they never say chapter, verse 10, verse 8, 9, they never say verse 10, why he saved them. They leave verse 10 out for some reason because it's so, it's so much easier to take it out of context that way. Saved by his grace, you can't take credit for it's a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So we say, now you don't have to do any good things anymore. But it says in verse 10, he created us anew, we're his masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we can do the things he planned for us long ago. If you leave that out, you can take it right out of context and twist the scripture to your own destruction. Can I get an amen here? And that's what, that's what people do. That's why when we do a study in this church, we read the whole book. We don't jump around so you can make it say what it wants to say. Big amen there, right?
And it's the truth that will set you free. Because when you're in bondage to sin and have a, your conscience is seared, there's no, you're not following Jesus. You're following your flesh. Listen, if you stay in your sins, how could you be in the Spirit? The Spirit doesn't sin. The flesh sins. So how could you say that I'm, in this, I'm, I'm with God when I keep sinning? Dangerous, dangerous. That's a dangerous doctrine right there. That people are shipwrecked from it. You can't even get them to come back and what? Start to obey God anymore. They just can't. They're like trapped in it. The devil locked the door on them. They won't even get out of it. It's too easy. <laughs> All right. He is way up there walking on the vault of heaven. It says, for the thick clouds swirl about him and he cannot see us. He is way up there walking on a vault of heaven. Verse 15, will you continue on the old paths where evil people have walked? They were snatched away in the prime of life. The foundations of their lives washed away. For they said to God, leave us alone. What can the almighty do to us? Yet, he was one, the one who filled their homes with good things. So I will have nothing to do with that kind of thinking. See it? This is what that thinking. The righteous will be happy to see the wicked destroyed. And the innocent will laugh in contempt. They will say, see how our enemies have been destroyed? The last of them have been consumed in the fire. Verse 21. Submit to God and you will have peace. Then things will go well for you. Well, I mean, yeah, they will in the spirit, but you know, you know, things aren't always going to... Listen, submitting to God doesn't mean everything's going to go well for you down here. That's the lie. But it always says to what? Fear God, not people. So fear what God can do, not people. Now it says, look what it says. Listen to him. Look at verse 22. Listen to his instructions and store them in your heart. If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. So clean up your life. If you give up your lust for money and throw your precious gold into the river... The Almighty Himself will be your treasure. Amen. Amen to that. He will be your precious silver. It's funny how people actually say store silver. They do. Something about silver. People just, they buy silver and they like store it. Instead of what? Storing God in their heart. They store the money instead. It says it right here. Then you will take delight in the Almighty and look up to God. Look at it. You will pray to Him and He will hear you. And you will fulfill your vows to Him. He's saying if you fall in love with money and wealth, He's not hearing you. Until you decide to give that up and follow Him. Now, does that mean like give it all to the poor? No, it's like stop using that, stop making your journey about money and getting more wealth. Make your journey about getting to know God better and the wealth that He gets. And the money part of it is like 
Who cares? You got 20 bucks in your pocket or 200, what's the difference? Doesn't really matter. You're better off with 20 because the 200 can buy you problems. <laughs> it can. You got the, the looser, you, the more money you got in your pocket, the more trouble comes your way. What's that? More bad habits, exactly. Proverbs hit it right on the head. I say it all the time. Don't make me too rich or I walk away, or too poor or I have to steal. Just give me enough to get by. Thank you, Jesus. But in the flesh, it's never enough. We want money. We want what? Security for later on down the road when I, let's save up for my retirement, right? How do you know you're going to retire? How do you know you're going to live? How do you know you're going to live that long to save for that retirement? Most people die before they even touch it. And they live without their whole life. They do without. The, the old timers do it, were good at this. They save everything. And then... The kids just squander it after they die. It's gone. And they never get to enjoy any of it. Don't get me wrong. It's always good to put something away. You know that. But not everything. And not to, and not to what? Starve the church and, the, and God's house falls in shambles. And you got everything in your storehouse ready. You're going to have to teach a big lesson on giving. Because what you give is really where your heart is. Remember the lady, the, 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 she only gave a couple of cents, but she gave everything that she had. She said, she'll be remembered forever. She didn't, she, you, know, you know you're sacrificing when you give and it hurts. You know that you could do something else with it, but you're, doing, you're giving it to God. And you see the work we're doing around here. We're not putting it in our pockets, we're putting it in God's house. We're making his house beautiful, not mine. My house is on hold, as a matter of fact. <laughs> the grass is like this high now. I can't even get in the backyard to cut the grass. I had no time. But the grass can wait. God's house can't wait. We need a safe place to come. We need a church. We need a place to come and worship God. That should be everybody's first priority. If, if, if it's not money, give you time. Time's more precious than money. Or both. <laughs> you need the money too, so you can spend the time doing what we got to do. Now, <laughs> where did I stand? Where did I end over here? I forgot. Is it twenty-seven? Oh yeah. You will pray to him, and he will hear you, and you will fulfill your vows to him. Verse 28, you will succeed in whatever you choose to do and light will shine on the road ahead of you. If people are in trouble and you say help them, God will save them. Even sinners will be rescued. They will be rescued because your hands are pure. You see it? That's what God says. If you keep yourself pure, God can use you, says in 1 Timothy. The master can use you to what? Bring others into the kingdom. Don't think you're going to get people into the kingdom when your hands are dirty. It doesn't work that way. God says, you've got you to you clean up and let God change you 
So then you can help others get into the kingdom. People don't want that. They want to go right out there and be a savior. They don't want, they're not saved yet. All right, before we close. This was Eliphaz's third and final speech to Job we just read, okay? When he first spoke to Job in Job 4 and 5, he commended Job's good deeds and gently suggested that Job might need to repent from some sin. He was a little bit more softer back then in, verse, in chapters 4 and 5. While he said nothing new in this speech, he did get more specific. He couldn't shake his belief that suffering is God's punishment for evil deeds, so he suggested several possible sins that Job might have committed. Eliphaz wasn't trying to destroy Job. At the end of his speech, he promised that Job would receive peace and restoration if he would only admit his sin and repent. <laughs> okay? Several times Job's friends showed a partial knowledge of God's truth and character, but they had trouble accurately applying this truth to life. They knew of it, but they didn't know him personally. Just like most people. They know the scriptures, but they don't know God. Such was the case with Eliphaz, who gave a beautiful summary of repentance. He was correct in saying that we must ask God for forgiveness when we sin, but his statement did not apply in this instant to Job, who was innocent and had lived closely in touch with God all along. Job was right with God. In other words, God was so proud of Job that he went right up. To, Have you noticed my servant Job? He's a man of complete integrity. He stays away from evil and worships me. So that's what God thought of Job. So Job probably had to be doing that, don't you think? He couldn't be sinning like he was saying here. Or else God would have never said that about him. And he wouldn't have got tested by the devil. Because if, why would he have to get tested by the devil when he was already doing, living with the devil? But people take everything out of context instead of saying, I don't know why, but you know what, let's pray about it. No, God's going to refine you. You're going to come out better than you were before if you hang in there. Not to look for the reason, but encourage the person that's going through something. They must have been doing something. That's the flesh. People are just so evil. They must have been doing something. I'm praying for them, but they must have been doing something. God's not happy. Right? When we don't know anything. Be careful when you say that because God said, you know, I'm going to judge you for that now. How's that? Because he was going to, Job had to pray for them. Remember at the end? Job had to pray for them because God was going to judge them for not accurately explaining God. So please, before you open your mouth about God, make sure you know what you're saying and make sure it's the Spirit speaking and not the flesh. Because when the flesh comes out, it's not God. It's not of God. It's just flesh. All right. So we're going to stop there. True, you want to come up and close us? So we'll pick up with chapter 23 when we get back together. Let's bow ahead. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your grace and mercy, Lord that is renewed every morning, Lord. I just pray that we take this message seriously, Lord. We take our walk with you seriously, Lord. I just pray that you 
speak to our hearts, Lord. Let us come to you, Lord, and with a changed heart and a heart that is willing to walk with you, Lord, and and be willing to be a vessel that we can be used to help others, Lord. Clean, clean us out, Lord, so we can be what you need us to be, Lord. Yes, Lord. I just thank you for the work that you do in our lives, Lord. I just thank you for being patient with us, Lord. Let us be patient with ourselves, Lord. And just continue on the right path, Lord. And I just thank you for all you do for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Right, Lord. Right, brother. All right, we're going to watch a video and close.